and you are now listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jimmy Hoffman. My name is Alon Danziger. And we are your hosts today. Yes. So it's time to get embarrassed with us. Let's do it. to the show faithful listener we have quite an episode for you this week one unlike any that you have heard before we hope you like it as you're well aware by now lost and rewound is brought to you every week by the kind folks at radio free brooklyn rfb is brought to you by fans and listeners alike who pledge as little as one dollar per month to ensure we stay on the air therefore even if you haven't directly done so yet our show is supported by you and will only continue to remain supported if and only if you pledge a few dollars right now. Or whenever you get around to it. It's cool. <laughs> but whenever you do, in fact, get to uh, donate a few dollars, please visit RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge to learn more. Once there, you will see there are sweet perks for all donation levels. Because, hey, you deserve a perk when you click. The larger the donation, the cooler the gift. And even for the most nominal of donations, there's plenty of Radio Free Brooklyn swag to be gotten. Or as uh, Jimmy would put it here, all the booty to be pilfered. So again, that address is RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. And you can sponsor our show specifically at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash L-A-R. And now, on with the show. Recently, I spent a week visiting friends on the Pacific Northwest of the United States, an area of the world I had never visited up until this point. My first stop was Portland, Oregon. Sean Kelly was my host while out there, and has the honor of being the best friend that I had in high school. Sean went to Savannah College of Art and Design, where he connected with fellow illustrating fanatic Ron Chan. Those familiar with the world of webcomics might remember a short-lived series called Roy's Boys, which ran from 2010 to 2013. Since the end of that modest run, Sean has begun working towards becoming a veterinary technician. My visit happened to coincide with the culmination of his two-year program's completion and a pending high school reunion back in Poughkeepsie, New York, that neither of us were going to make. Sean and I have slightly varying opinions on the importance of staying connected with people from our past. So, as is a very common theme here on Lost and Rewound, I felt into the whole idea of talking about what it means to stay connected during our casual hike on Mount Tabor. I mean, it would be nice to go to a reunion and see people from my class, even though I wasn't really like close with most of them. Just curious where they are in their lives and stuff like that, but... At the same time, I know that, you know, when I had gone to a couple of those alumni, like, meetups in New York City, and, like, you know, there were mostly people that were way younger than me, I didn't even know, and a lot of staff that attended them were staff that, you know, are more recent than 
when I've been at PDS, so. Do you think that there's a similar feeling that you have with college? Alumni in college? And connections that you have later on. Not really, because uh, PDS was such a, like, a unique setting, because there were so few students, like, you know, you could actually go to an alumni gathering and actually see and talk to every person that was in your class, and that's not, like, an unreasonable thing to do, whereas, like, most of the people that I forged friendships with in college, like, I still have some sort of awareness of where they are in the world and what they're doing, whereas in terms of people from our class at, in high school, I could count the amount of them that I even know where they live on one hand. Did you feel connected enough with a few people that you were pretty much settled on the social department because that was like a handful already? And so you became smarter just about like how many friends you keep or how many people you keep distant, et cetera, et cetera? I don't really understand the question. Over time, do you become more trusting or less trusting? Of what? Of just people that you meet over time. I don't think I become any any less or more trusting. I become more aware of the realities of people and what my expectations should should be and what effort or time I'm willing to put into things that I don't think will be beneficial to me or other parties. But I don't think that's any more trusting or not. I think it's just. Accepting the way that I think that life is, what people are. Did you have a positive or a negative experience the last time you went to a PDS reunion? I think I had uh, ultimately a positive experience. I was only a small handful of people that I knew, and most of them were significantly younger than me. But, you know, it was nice to see them. And I mean, I think I talked to some staff members, and that was cool. But I mean, I'm at the age where I don't even, like, I when I, you know, was recently removed from PDS, I would always go back and go into drop-in and see mostly people, staff members that, you know, I'd grown up learning from. I don't know, when I graduated, I talked about going, trying to go back there and, like, like teach, like, a little bit or whatever, but then I really, nothing really came out of it. And would you still consider teaching now? Yeah, but I mean, I'm certainly not the most successful cartoonist that's left PDS, so I probably don't get that opportunity anymore. <laughs> Are you a happy cartoonist? Well, I don't even know if I'm really a cartoonist anymore. I mean, Were you a happy cartoonist? At times. When I was doing work that I enjoyed, and I don't know, I was getting what I needed out of it. This probably resonates with a lot of people in our same age range. Because this is something that everybody kind of goes through when you leave school and everyone kind of goes off on their own. I remember being at, at a graduation. It was like the little gathering afterwards and everyone signing yearbooks and stuff like that. I remember I said to somebody, you're never going to see me again. There's no <laughs> chance you'll ever see me again. So savor these moments because this is fleeting. This sure. is fleeting. Yeah, And uh, I didn't. As I was saying it, and I was joking with them, uh, I knew I, that I knew there was a, a big a grain of like you know truth to that, but I didn't realize how true it really was, you know, until you know you all go off in your own directions, and uh, you know again again who knows that the lead the road will lead back. Did you ever get invited to reunions, or did you ever feel compelled to go to either a high school or a college reunion? I did get invited to 
some middle school reunions. Really? Yeah, because in because in New York, you know, you you apply to high school and you apply to middle school. You know, so there was all these different schools, and even my middle school, we had you know fifteen hundred kids or something like that. It was a big school, and I did go to one of those middle school reunions, and it was weird. And I knew a lot of people there, but it was just, it was bugged out. How old were you? I guess it was maybe four, four years ago, three or four years ago. So I was, uh, again, around 10 years older than when I had graduated. Sure. Well, so it was that, about 10 that makes years sense. later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a 10-year reunion for your middle school. For middle school. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it was know, so should, weird because you're so yeah. young. Like it's, it's really like seeing people when they're adults. <laughs> it seems like kind of an arbitrary reunion to have. It's like, let's have our third grade reunion. Like reunion. Of- hey, I would like to do an elementary school reunion. That would be crazy. I went to a school with a high school that had no more than 100 students over the course, uh, at least when I was going there. I think this, the classes have gotten bigger. The grades have gotten bigger, rather. But when I was there, I don't ever think 100 was correct the entire time. So, yes, the classes got bigger, and the you know the classes got more diverse. But when I was there, man, I mean, didn't feel like there was this interconnectedness, at least with my grade. My my graduating class was arguably the most misfit of all of the grades. I've definitely been the misfit class before. They canceled a bunch of senior activities on my class because we were so bad. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was part of the senior trip or something they canceled. And I think they canceled – it wasn't prom. We had prom, but they canceled something. And I remember it was because (laughs) – they, they were trying to do a senior prank, and it was just the worst and most ill-conceived plot. What was the prank? Well, the year before, no, when I was a sophomore, or maybe a freshman, I think I was a sophomore, the, the upperclassmen had released uh, live chickens in the hallway, <laughs> and that went over well. Like, nobody got mad. I remember seeing chickens running by Edison, like, last period. Innocent chicken then dance. I remember seeing a chicken go by, and then I remember seeing like a ton of kids like, ah! like right afterwards, which was being really hilarious and seeing that a few times. Uh, so I remember them trying to live up to all these expectations. Uh, there was other ones that had been done. And they, some kids went and took all of the permanent records and just mixed them up. Oh, no. That is not It cool. didn't make any sense. It, it was just... Bad taste and just sort of irreverent, but like a bad irreverent. It, yeah, it was, so, it was so dumb. So the teachers like flipped out, as they, as they rightfully should. You know, I was just like, why couldn't you do something really smart, like dress as ninjas and hide in the closet with two chalk erasers and jump out and just be like, <laughs> and like throw plastic kunai or something like that. Like, that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it right. Oh, good prank. <laughs> I don't think we did a prank, but it was so funny is that you mentioned a chicken. Or you mentioned chickens. And there was, in fact, a chicken that made an appearance as evidenced by my social media findings. The reunion that did, in fact, occur the Saturday after I got back from my trip. The reunion did, in fact, have an appearance from a chicken. And I guess, like, nobody was expecting it. It wasn't announced. And I think, from what I remember reading, they have adopted the chicken as, like, a school mascot now. Wow. Well, I don't, I mean, people might not know out there on the airwives, but a chicken is my mascot as well. You know about this, right? Uh, Explain. So you don't know about this. I guess I don't. So, so many things I'm learning on this show. I work as a tour guide, a New York City sightseeing guide. Yes. 
And uh, I guess one day I was walking out of my house and I'd lost like the thing I lead the tourists around with when we're walking on the ground, which was an umbrella. And uh, I didn't have it and I needed something desperately searching. And uh, I've been actually this summer, I'll, I will have been tour guiding for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. My 10 year anniversary you, in August. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Anyway, I was walking out of the house. At this point, I'd been living with my dad. And I looked over and I saw this stuffed chicken and we'd bought this stuffed chicken for a buck from the dollar store. Or actually we bought 10 stuffed chickens for a dollar each. Okay. And I'll I'll tell that story quickly because people would wonder why 10? <laughs> why not? Again, arbitrary one number. One chicken or possibly two. Uh, so I showed the chicken to my dad at the dollar store. And it's like a well-made chicken for a buck. And when I see value, I got to let my pops know. So I was like, hey, Dad, check out this chicken. It's a pretty goofy-looking chicken for a dollar. And he goes, oh, that thing's great. Uh, let's get 10. And I'm like, uh, why 10? And he goes, don't worry. We'll need them. Trust me. We'll need them. And he said it like super serious and ominous. And uh, so I did end up needing them because the chickens get dirty. I lead the tourists around with the chicken, and the chickens get dirty because I hold it all, you know, for for years at a time in the air. And now people all over New York City know this chicken, and they call me the Chicken Man, and that's my that's my other persona. If you didn't know that all the rest of the time I'm not being called Jimmy, people are calling me Chicken Man. <laughs> with the previous interview that I had conducted with Sean, I felt inspired to continue my exploring in conversation. So on my last night in Portland, I caught up with an acquaintance that I had made back in New York, who had recently moved out west to study alternative medicine. It was crisp out, and the sky was clear. So Natalie, along with her roommate Stacy, joined me on a picnic blanket outside their apartment complex. At around 11.30pm, we began sharing some sweet and some not-so-sweet family memories. When I was four, we made my grandpa a birthday video. We were sitting on a fireplace, my dad and mom and us. And so there's images of Tommy playing, uh, like, baseball. baseball, like, you know, playing catch and stuff, shooting guns. <laughs> he's like seven. He's like, look. Him and my dad look, are Look, grandson, how to use a slingshot. <laughs> yeah, like, no, a gun. <laughs> like, a fucking BB gun. And then, uh, I was sharing about, like, how I was learning how to read at four. Because I was. <laughs> I was reading. I was I reading. Well. I've been reading since I was four. <laughs> what can I say? I read that up and down. What? But I would like just memorize the books though, so I was I would just recite it or whatever, or just kinda like make up a story when I was looking at the pages. A young performer. Like say those things, yeah. And so then Tommy was talking about like how he did good in school. He was like, Yeah, I got twenty dollars for like doing good in school, ten dollars or something for like getting straight A's. And then I chime in, and I'm like, and I got $5, because I had a Boston R, because Tommy had a Boston R. He goes over, and he's like, you didn't even get a cent. But then I keep going, and I, like, play with something. I, like, didn't even let it get me down or whatever. And then I was sharing about me, what, like, Disney princesses I was into at the time. And um, I was... Which was all of them. Duh. Mostly Sleeping Beauty. But then I was like... Really? Yeah. Why? Every day. Oh, my God. I watched that movie so many times. Why that one? (laughs) It's pretty dark. Yeah. She is abused. By them dwarfs, there are... Not Snow White. Sleeping Beauty. Oh, yeah. Sleeping Beauty. Uh, She's abused by her sisters. So... 
They're all of you. That's Cinderella. Um, <laughs> anyway, they're all. <laughs> Isn't Snow White? So, She's got fucking sisters. No. Or not Snow White. Sleeping Beauty, her name was Aurora. She was, like, sleeping for a long time. And then the prince... (laughs) Please tell me the story, because I don't. I'm not familiar. Yeah, so she's a baby to, like, uh, king and queen. And then the... She doesn't get pricked with a needle, right? She does, but it's not the one that turns hay into gold, if that's what you're thinking, or hair into gold, right? Are you thinking (laughs) of that one? It's not No, I'm not. Oh, okay. So this wicked witch comes to her year, like, birth... Maleficent. Maleficent comes over. And she comes with her little. Maleficent. She's like what comes in as a green beam of light, and then she's got a, a, yes. a crow. She's yeah. considered she's to be like the, the evil witch, right? But like one of the highest uh, regarded Disney villains in the entire canon. Okay. So Maleficent. She's, she's like so she's sinister. Iconic. Yeah, well, like, she's like. I had like some some Disney cards or something, and you could collect cards. So I had some of those, and I was like, I've got. Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, and then I'm like, and Aladdin, and I like do this with my hands <laughs> and say it like that, like and Aladdin, just like so happy, and I'm laughing at myself the whole time, telling myself jokes, like obviously, and just having a ball, giggling and playing with my mom and telling her secrets and like you know doing stuff, and then Tommy's like trying to be all like serious, and my dad's like trying to keep us all in line, and we're all like, and I'm all like squirrely, and, like there's one point I try to walk away, and he just kind of pinches me back. Hey, Pat. When was the last time you heard that tape, though? It was a few years ago. We somehow it came up. Somebody has it. <laughs> Somebody has it? Yeah. You don't know who has it. Though. I think my parents. You, you would imagine. I think it's we sold it to the internet. <laughs> the <highest laughs> eBay. My parents were invited. We sold a family video on eBay. But then beyond that, Love like it. middle school and oh, elementary school and stuff, and Aladdin. <laughs> I like, it. I got five dollars. You didn't even oh, get a cent. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But we would make up shows though and stuff, and we'd record ourselves with videos. Like we'd have like cooking shows and make shit up. We were acting all the time. Who just has audio recording? That's Do you know what I mean. Like, it's not about just. It's just about having any. Right. But I'm saying, like, most, if I have any audio, it's going to be with a video, too, because I didn't have just an audio recorder at any point. Yeah. You know, like, although some people have. I didn't have any of that shit. There's no recording of my childhood, uh, like, outside of me and my brothers. My mom's like, that's not true. I'm like, that definitely is fucking true. I'm like, ask any of the brothers. You definitely slapped me in the face with a fucking wet towel once. Only are, we, are we uncovering the childhood things now? Did your mom hit you with a wet towel? Only once. Only once. <laughs> As a only once. As a form of just, I called her a bitch. She, I deserve to get fucking hit in the <laughs> face. You in the face. <laughs> she wound it up too, like in yeah. front of me. And she was like, wow. hey, 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 like "You don't talk to me." She's like, like that. <laughs> "We don't spank you anymore, but I'm gonna hit you in the face yeah. with a towel." No, that's that's the pop on the face. Her, yeah, that was her thing. Bitch was her thing, her trigger. Absolutely. My brother called her, uh, yeah, Ben called her bitch one time, and she spit in his face. She was just like, (laughs) I'll show you, bitch. (laughs) Like, fuck you. Never again. This is the worst thing I can do do, to you is to spit in your face. that is such an insult, right? It's like... Which is beautiful. I would never, I would, I would never, uh, no. What? I'm Call sorry. Oh, good for you. I'm, yeah. I'm good double, for you. I'm your mom must be a saint. 
I know. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry my eyes got a little wider when you looked at me. No, I'm no, like, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, she's lovely, delightful. I love my mom to fucking bits. Don't get me wrong. That was the only time she ever hit me outside of like spanking when I was like six. My parents but, were always like, we never spanked you enough. We should have spanked you more. Oh, I, I, see, I my parents did it just enough. My, I remember it. My dad spanked me, I think, once. And then my mother was like, if you do that again, I am leaving. And I am never coming back. And your mom's a drama queen. Sorry. She's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's part of the also, process. like, don't fucking hit my kid. I will fucking smack you. So when was the last time that you were hit with a wet towel? <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad, every time we would go to the pool or like when we would be getting ready to go to the pool, we uh, would be in bathing suits. And I think he would just jokingly tighten up the towel and then like whip me with it or try and whip me with it. It was all in jest. Like I didn't ever get hurt from getting whipped with a towel. Not with as much animosity as uh, clearly Stacy had on the receiving end of because... I mean that's that, that that's pretty crappy. <laughs> it's pretty real, dude. It's pretty real. I uh luckily though as indicated in the clip, I was never at the receiving end of much abuse and in in fact barely at all. Again, when I was spanked, I was probably not even 4, I would say. Definitely definitely before I was 4 cuz I barely remember it. And I don't remember my mom being like, "Nope, not happening on my watch." But that's what she told me, so I believed her. Yeah, I had the I had a really like the same exact experience as you, only reverse. My mom spanked me when I was like really little, and I remember my father pulling her aside and telling her one day to stop, and then she never did it again. So that was pretty much the extent of that. I do remember getting yelled at a lot, but that had a lot to do with my behavior. I was I was acting out on purpose. I feel to get a reaction. How old were you? Uh, twenty eight. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here. No, no. Um, I mean, pretty much through through. Ch- I mean, through through college. Honestly, man. Um, didn't really grow up too much, and had a sort of contentious relationship with my mother growing up. But I just think we we were at odds because we bus- we basically she was raising me in, the, in trying to raise me in a way that's sh- more similar to how she'd been raised, and I needed a, a different, more con- progressive, constructed way to be raised. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my father kind of took the opposite way. And both of them, you know, they needed to meet somewhere in the middle, and they never ended up doing it. And they both were just kind of on opposite ends, and I, I was there in the middle. I am not a parent. I have no plans on being a parent anytime soon, maybe later when I actually have the money to back it up. But if there's one thing I've learned from parents who share responsibilities for, you know, raising children but do not share the same belief system, it's that you always have to find a compromise, find a way to make it work. My parents have been married for almost 40 years now, God bless them, for the fact that they've been together for this long and have throughout their, I guess, disagreements, to say the least, have always found a way to sort of find a, a common thread and just stick with it. That's – you're exactly right. That's that's the name of the game right there. Uh, I want to say that I definitely want children. I mean I'm not obviously married or anything, so it's not something that I know when it's going to happen. Uh, but I do know – that I'm not going to hit them. That's something that I made a conscious decision from the time that I was a kid, the first time that I got hit, and I was just like, this is not the right way. I think it's just about being firm and uh, letting them know what's expected of them, what's respectful, being respectful to the child, 
and just just explaining to them. I feel like in any situation where I didn't, where I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was doing wrong, I was glad to try to fix things and you know repent. The thing that always killed me is when a parent would say, "Because I said so," you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That would make me go ballistic. I couldn't be chained when I heard that phrase. <laughs> I like how we've been talking about the secondary part of that clip where uh, I had not had any intention uh, beforehand (laughs) at interviewing her roommate. But Natalie's story just about talking about making the video for her grandpa was something that was really sweet because I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And it ended up going into a really sweet place. And then (laughs) Stacey just totally like went out of total left field and made it into something that was either way still relevant to the topics that we talk about on this show. So it was sort of a happy accident. Yeah. I mean, she did talk about doing uh, some video shows and stuff like that when she was a kid, right? Yeah. See, I did some of that stuff similarly. I know you did. We did a uh, good cop, gay cop. <laughs> no, it was, no, it was bad cop, gay cop. That's you what it was. Definitely talked about that on former iterations. <laughs> I remember then, uh, that. Yeah, there was the there was the mafia thing where the son was a dolphin, um, <laughs> <laughs> and he would just yeah, he would just come in and, and 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 like kill everybody, but while making that noise, it was really really silly. <laughs> It was my first night in Vancouver, British Columbia, and somehow I ended up with a glass of wine on someone's rooftop overlooking this beautiful city. I was hanging out with high school drama teachers Nicole Roberge and Zelda Kurtzel. Both have had extensive history as well with Shift Theatre, a collective for which Nicole now acts as artistic director. You can call her Coco. She and I became friends back in New York, where she spent a year obtaining a master's in performance studies at NYU. She then went back to her home of Coquitlam, a suburb of Vancouver, to continue her work as a teacher, director, and friend to all students. Her, along with Zelda, offered some nice reflections on the recently wrapped school year and how acting kids really do leave a lasting impression on them. If you taught Math 9, or let's say English 9, you teach only that wonderful student or that exceptional or low, below average or slightly skill development or totally annoying student <laughs> yes. for one year. And then they go off into the world and you get one more batch of grade 9 math or English students. But we teach something where you, if you hook in, if you buy in, you take it in grade 9, in grade 10, in grade 11, in grade 12. You take acting classes and drama classes and musical theater classes and dance classes. You join the improv team. You join the tech team. And then you hang out with me on Saturdays to paint the fucking set. So I see you more than your parents would ever hope to see you. And when you graduate, you take a little piece of my heart with you. So it's hard. And I have to say goodbye to all these wonderful people. They just say goodbye to me, and I say goodbye to all of them. You're saying that there was a class that had to like yeah. step into the ring and be they, the this, spotlight. Ah, this group—they're uh, group, not inherently good at anything except being loving, kind, soulful, positive members of a creative community. They made the culture that is Rivers Edge Theater. They're just a bunch of weirdo misfits that don't belong anywhere else except together. And that's why they're awesome. So we belong together. 
and they go out in the world, and they're all in these different cliques and groups and friends, and they have... They, they don't subscribe to one group entirely. No they're, they're all scattered. They're scattered. And in the, in an on stage, like we were today, which our drama studio is right on stage, like on the stage today, they sat down in a circle after they signed the wall to leave their indelible mark, and you can look at them, and you can pick out kids from different groups around the school. They're the ultimate misfits. Yep. But man, do they belong when they're together, and it's just beautiful. Beautiful. So that's different, though, because in the other classes, at least, that you've dealt with over the last five years, there isn't that intrinsic camaraderie, maybe, I guess you can uh, call it? I have not found the same, like, hunger and passion for the creative arts in another group. Like, this, this group is so wild, because they'll just be like... They'll be like, I know I'm crap at it, but I just have to sing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like randomly. Uh, okay. <laughs> so all you boys are going to join Dance 1112. Why? <laughs> and they're like, A, because girls are in tight pants. B, because you're in tight pants. C, because we want to dance. <laughs> We want to be where we want to be involved. They want to be involved, no matter what. So there they are. That's a natural inclination, I think. If, when you're around your peers, and it, it, where is everybody going? Well, I want to do that too. It's kind of like when you're doing the High School Musical, right? Yeah. Or the, where, any musical. When kids are going to do a show, kids who are their friends are going to want to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today, this boy Andrew, who's very special to, to me, he's uh, he came to me off the soccer pitch. He got B-listed on the soccer team in grade 9 because he wasn't quite big enough, strong enough, or tall enough to be on the A-list soccer team. And he sort of wandered into the drama room. I was definitely not his first choice in life, but I have become where he feels best. This kid has turned into a kid that's going to make it. Like, he has film and TV written all over him. He's like, your size, your build, which is perfect for film and TV. He's beautiful. <laughs> he has perfect teeth. He has great instincts. Well, wait, wait, wait. Stop right there. He has perfect teeth. I have semi-perfect teeth. You do. I love your teeth. I love your gaps. Stop. Stop. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the slightest. It's the subtlest of gaps. <laughs> exactly the right size. <laughs> I don't see that. I, I, so, I can mask it well, but okay. So, so this he's, kid, I This mean, kid's model status. He, well, kind of. He's an interesting Except he's looking... Except he's, he's still a misfit. Yeah, he's, he's still a, a, little bit a, of a weirdo. Yeah. Like, he still fits into his little class of like, ooh. ooh. But, 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 but he is but, like, in he the prime even, yeah. trimmings and makings of... This kid in five years is going to be... If, he, if he's already <laughs> if he tall... Keeps his shit together. No. He's 5'6". And he's not going to grow. His, I've seen his parents. Ah, I see. So he's the same exact height as me. He's like... Yeah. Good luck, Andrew. Little, no, little actor dude. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> safe. And so today, he was noticeably missing. He was there, and then he wasn't there. And um, we were yeah, all signing yearbooks and having moments. And he never came back. He kind of disappeared. And, and I got, I broke down and had a cry. And then I had these, this huge group hug with the kids. And then I went up to my car, and I sat down in my car. And I was like, wow. I'm, I have Andrew's number in my phone from when we stayed on a four-day field trip. And I had all the kids' numbers for security reasons. So I texted him. I was like, I'm not his teacher anymore. I texted him. I'm like, hey, Andrew, you disappeared on me today. I just kind of wanted to sign your yearbook and say I really enjoyed the last four years. And he wrote back, I couldn't handle it. I will come see you tomorrow on my own. It was too much for me. But 
the fact that you texted me means the world. I guess um, I'm a, a bit of a romantic, and that's obvious, an idealist <laughs> as well. And I get disappointed a lot because teenagers will be teenagers. They will turn on each other, and they will turn on you, and they are, you know, a class of 32. It's a big class. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just drama kids. Uh-huh. J- j- exactly. Three, 32 kids who want to be in the spotlight. Or in grade 12 who want the spotlight. And that's all they want. Are there any that don't actually want yeah. the spotlight? Yeah. And when that happens, it's a big blessing. Like, this kid, <laughs> it is. It really is. This kid, Josie Marek, this statuesque warrior Amazon of a woman, she could beat me up in about 10 seconds. She will be a model. She could be. Probably, yeah. I hope she I hope she makes money at something, because she is so stunning, so smart, so witty, so charming, so fabulous. And so athletic. She's the star of the volleyball team and on the drama. Like, what? Who does that? That doesn't, that just doesn't happen. She came to me at the beginning of musical theater and said, I really see myself with a headset and sort of a fanny pack with essentials in it. And that, and a clipboard. All I want is a clipboard. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) So you don't want the leading role? Perfect. Because everyone else does. And it's going to be a real bloodbath. But all I want to give you is your headset, your clipboard, and your fanny pack. Like <laughs> the modesty at that age. Something oh, that you do okay. see, but unfortunately not enough. Not enough. Yeah. It was, that was a nice moment. So she's winning a little award next week. And then there's these two kids that uh, are winning the top student awards. And one of them is Jock Grimbeek. <gasps> who's going to lose his shit. Lose shit. Who moved here from South Africa. Um, oh, that kid. Yeah. And oh, so he's kid. one of four boys in his family, and all the boys in his family are these, like, bruiser, like, rugby-playing South African boys that all graduated and bought muscle cars immediately, and he's the, like, little tiny Baby. wayfish artist. And he's so been bullied lanky. in his family, bullied in his school, peer group, and then he belongs in the theater. He belongs. He's good at everything on stage. Improv, singing, dancing, acting, building a set, everything. And uh, he's a champ. He's so beautiful. He's about. He looks exactly like Jack Skellington from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, that's who what he looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm envisioning it, but I'm not envisioning it. And I'll take your word for it. And, and he loves to dance. And he just wants to dance. And like, just make every kind and of art ever. He's a great and, kid. And you took them on um, this this four day field trip, yeah. um, where they they were selected out of our district to go to the provincial drama festival, and that's the the four day. It's trip. like going to state. It's going it, to state. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The the Monday after. Where um, I was like, Coco called me and was like, I can't, I can't, I I've just can't with, go to school. I've been with uh, how many was it? Thirty three of them for four days and four like not going days. home, like sleep overnight at a hotel. Yeah, and this was a theater based. Yes, it's I know, yeah, but even that, like you know. So the Monday, well, the Sunday night, she calls me. She's like, I'm just not, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I can't. You decide what you're doing. Good night. <laughs> I didn't even give her a lesson. No lesson plan. Nothing. <laughs> like, you, you choose. Goodbye. Uh, I'm tired. I want to die. <laughs> and I walk in there on, on Monday morning, and there's Jock in the middle of, like, a, a circle of younger kids, like grade nines who have first block uh, drama, and he is just 
beaming and he's going on and on about the workshops and then we got to do this thing and then every night you, you go see the shows and there are like four or five or six shows a night and then there was a dance party and like all theater kids at this dance party and like he just went on and on and he was like beaming and these great knives are just like Eating hanging up. on every word yeah. awesome. and I was like Yes. He became a celebrity that day. Yes. He became a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. And like all day. That's oh, all that's he so wanted cool. to talk about. That's so cool. How do you know these people? How do I know Coco is a very, very good question. I met her through karaoke, which is how I evidently meet a lot of my friends in New York City, you included. So This is true. But karaoke connected us in two thousand and nine. Actually, we connected even earlier, I think, uh two thousand eight. And she started taking her leave of absence from the Vancouver uh, school that she was teaching at for a year to study at NYU. And so she spent a year in New York and we grew closer and we just stayed in touch. We just became really good friends during her stay here. And she made a lot of good friends that uh, she still keeps in touch with through her program. And she visits New York often. A lot of her friends from Vancouver I continue to stay friendly with them, and I figured, hey, when I go to Vancouver, I might as well just return the favor. They've been visiting New York. I might as well visit them. And so that's what I did. It wasn't anything more than just, you know, total pleasure. Wanted to just go and hang out with some really cool Canadian chicks. I've heard only wonderful things about that city. <sighs> you have to see to believe, man. Have to yeah. you have to be there in person to really soak it all in. Good hiking, good food, good people. I even went to a karaoke night, I'll tell you. My last night there was really special. We went to an ex-serviceman's bar called Legion, where you would never be able to wear a hat in there. If you wear a hat in this bar, you have to buy the entire bar a drink. What if it's a yarmulke? <laughs> <laughs> Supremely look at look at you look at you man you're always finding a way to work around that's really funny Dude, um what, i don't if know if i took off my ball cap and i had a yarmulke under here would you lose it i think yarmulkes might be okay but you're not allowed to wear an actual hat what if it's like the pope's hat I don't know, dude. What it's, if, can it, what if uh, you could look, get in through the door dude, with it on your head, that Pope hat? <laughs> there's, there's a picture in this bar of the queen uh, hanging above where the people sing songs. So there's an image of the queen, and therefore there's clearly a very systematic you know, rule list of which you have to abide by. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just like a sign of respect. Like, you are not allowed to wear a hat inside this bar. And I find that really amusing. Like, I walked in, and the bartender was like, like, looked at my cap and just motioned for me to take it off. This reminds me of school. I remember no hats in school, man. Yep, basically. No, no bubble gum. What do you think of the teacher perspective? I was always the student who was hanging out with the teachers, talking smack on the bad kids. And I was always the kid that would go to, like, complain about the other kids, too. Because mm. I guess I was like cool and laid back. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely reminded me of that. One thing that kind of struck me as funny. So she taught in a school in Vancouver? Yeah, it's just a suburb called Coquitlam. Okay. Because it definitely reminded me, I just sort of imagined Degrassi. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I know what you're talking about. For those Jimmy. of you out there who don't know what Degrassi is, I think everybody knows what Degrassi is. I don't know is. that everybody knows. Jimmy, everybody knows. When you think of Jimmy, when you think of Degrassi, you think of Drake. Well, yeah, okay. So I bet if I asked my father, he would have no idea what it is. All right. You know, and he may end up listening to the program. So Okay. 
Degrassi Let's... is a, a teenage Canadian soap opera. Yes. Which um, has been it, on forever. Yeah, and it it was actually go th- went through multiple generations where they had it in the eighties, and then those kids grew up, and now they're the parents of the next generation. And I think they're up to the third generation now. But anyway, this didn't popularize him. But yeah, Drake, the rapper, was uh, a kid on the show named Jimmy. And he was in a wheelchair at some point as well. He became wheelchair bound after being shot by a student. That was the story. It was, it was that show was intense, man. That was, that show was honestly. Intense, I, I, I have very strong memories of being in New York when I first moved to New York and having cable for the first time in what felt like ever. And I was watching the N a lot, and the N was the channel that aired Degrassi: The Next Generation. So I watched a shit ton of Degrassi. They tackled topics that an American show, you know, these were things that definitely happened here, but there's definitely a thing in this country of trying to kind of dance around that stuff, the more intense topics. You know, we talk about them, but we're prudish. So, you know, there's not really episodes on teenage TV shows, maybe more so now, but when that came out, and this was over 10 years ago, you know, they were having rape and all this different stuff. And I remember being like 14, like, yo, well, <laughs> like, yo, this is for real. You have to also remember that the Canadian government funds everything entertainment wise in Canada. So whatever is being aired on the radio, the TV, uh, you know, any medium is being funded by the government because technically it all comes down to one thing and it's education. Yeah, go Canada, man. Sarah Bino is a Vancouver-based comedian and storyteller who over the past 15 years has curated, performed, and produced all of her own work in online and onstage form. Currently, you can find her hosting a handful of events around Vancouver when she's not auditioning or working. She is the quintessential theatrical entrepreneur, and I envy that hustle. But on vacation, there is no time for envy, only brain-picking, and eat it. And so, back in 2009, famed BC-based chef Angus Ahn had rebranded his world-famous gastropod into trendy Thai food hotspot May Nam, located on West 4th Ave in East Vancouver. Upon a family member recommendation, I seized the opportunity and met up with the talented Miss Bino there for dinner. As you'll hear, it was a pretty busy night. Apologies in advance. Say what is terrible books. Teenage Night is the one where people read stuff from their teen years. Okay. Yeah. So thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Those are two events that you host. Yeah. There is a third one and a fourth one. Uh, yeah. The the third regular one is Novelty Act. What's that? Um, that is uh, the last Tuesday of the month. Me and my friend Riel get up on stage at this cabaret room in like Chinatown and we do whatever we want. Uh, the title of the show came from a guy, a comedian in town who was trying to sell a show to Riel. She's like, who's on the show? And he's like, oh, I got like this dude and this dude and this dude and uh, this guy and this other dude. She's like, whoa, it's a lot of, a lot of men on the show. And he was like, oh, well, you could only, like, there's only, like, six women in town you want to have on your stand-up show, and, I mean, like, it's not like I'd want, if I had, like, a juggler on every month, I wouldn't want to have, like, jugglers on all the time, and he's like, wait, are you equating women in comedy to a novelty act? And he paused and went, uh, yeah. So, we decided to call our show Novelty 
yet because it's just two women basically on stage. Um, we started to bring on guests in the second half, but it's sort of like a comedic improv storytelling show. We call it a show party. There was a fourth one, I believe. Yeah, yeah I just started. I, yeah, I've maybe done two versions of another show that I'm calling Crashers. And it's, this is a more theater show, and the concept is uh, people get up on stage and, like, they do monologues that you would never find in, like, any monologue book. They should be taken from some sort of pop culture, like, from the internet. So I do a Tyra Banks monologue, <laughs> uh, but I act the fucking shit out of it. Sure. Um, my friend Kyle did, uh, I don't know if you saw this video that went viral sometime last year of a woman yelling at a bear eating her kayak. She's just like, bear, bear, no, why are you, why are you here? You're supposed to be hibernating. It's September. Bear, no bear, no, no, no bear. I'm going to pepper spray you now and you're just, and she's got a super annoying voice, whiny voice. She's like, no. My friend Kyle memorized like her just being like, bear, 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 no bear. I laughed a heart of crime. <laughs> that's great. And that's but that's just started. Yeah, I've only done two of them. No, two or three. I can't remember. I would say the common theme with everything is that I like to use verbatim work. Like I like to take actual writing in the world and put it in a different light. So with Teenage Night, it's people sharing their horribly embarrassing teenage journals and letters um, in a comedic form, being like, look how stupid I was, here's some ridiculous things I wrote when I was a teenager. So you're probably familiar with like Mortified or Cringe Night. I, Mortified's done at the Littlefield, yeah. right? Right down that block. Right? Yeah. So I started before all of them. Uh, in 2000, I started doing Teenage Night. And then they all, all these other ones popped up. What uh, inspired you to do the Teenage Night? Oh, I was 19 years old. I was on the phone with one of my friends at the time. And girls have epic conversations. They so, do. yeah, so I don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but I was like cleaning my room and I was like, oh, oh my god, it's this binder full of poetry that my high school boyfriend, like, gave me, and I, or like I collected and put all his like poetry in there. And she's like, read one. And I was like, okay. And I think the one that I read was, together we've walked down a path made for two, but with my peripheral vision, I have seen your eyes divert to the path made for one. And I was like, oh, so bad. And we just made fun of it. And she like found some bad stuff from her boyfriend for, and I was like, oh. I feel so mean. You know what? I wrote a lot of poetry when I was a teenager. Like, here's some of the shit I wrote. And I was like, oh, this is worse. And I was in theater school, so I was like, oh, this should be on stage. We should make a night of it. Like, other people have this. So I did it. And the very first night, like, someone literally peed their pants. They laughed so hard. And I was like, okay, there's something in this. This is very fun and weird. And, like, I laughed so hard. I cried. Uh, like, now when I do it, I have no shame. Like, I'm like, here's a stupid thing I wrote. But, like, back then I was like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? This is so embarrassing. Yeah, and it was just like, this is awesome. And people were like, hey, are you doing that show where people read their team stuff? And I was like, yeah. And then I started a website because I'd, I'd written a lot of bad poetry. My brother was just getting into, like, 
coding and website, it was 2000 at this point. And so we spent like six months designing a website. This is pre-blogger. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Like, because yeah. I remember I wanted to have a search term or search button on the website where you can search for all the poems that had the word fuck in it or like all the poems by one author. Like that, like tags, essentially tags. That was not even a thing yet. And I, I remember just like wanting it all when it finally happened. I was so excited. So I divided all the different, all the poems into different categories because I'd worked at a library around that point and I was like, they must be categorized. So there was the like, I'm alone, no one understands my pain poems, life sucks and I want to die poems, the fuck you, like just like angry rant poems, um, the breakup poetry, which I called like, I will never love again. Uh, the love poems were called More Than Like after my first love poem that ended with the line, it's not quite love, but it's more than like. So cute. We received our food shortly after. Sarah is a pescatarian, so our dinner was very light and lean with wonderful fish dishes and honestly some of the best pad thai that I've ever had to date. We picked up the conversation where we had left off with a bit more emphasis on the real heart of what mattered to me. Childhood creative projects. Um, thankfully, the restaurant had emptied out a bit by this point. When you were younger, you did record audio as well. You did not just limit yourself to the padded pen. No, I was very creative. I mean, I did artwork. I have, Yeah, we only have a couple tapes. Like, my friend and I wanted to start a band. What was the band? Uh, our band was called The Best Band of... No, the best band in the world, so that people could come and see it and be like, oh, I saw the best band in the world, and they suck. That was our joke. We would spend all our time, though, coming up with cover art, like album art, and you have to. song titles. We never, we never really wrote songs. Did you write song titles? Yes. I think so. I don't know. That, that stuff, because I don't have as much of a record of that. So when you have these song titles, there is never like any interest in actually capitalizing and making a song about a unicorn. Uh, no, I think we just didn't have that musical ability. Like, I took guitar lessons, but I mostly went to flirt with my guitar teacher. Sure. <laughs> and learn songs ironically. Like, I remember coming in and being like, teach me to keep on rocking the free world, because every person with a guitar knows how to play that, and I'd be like, oh, this sucks. Or I wanted to learn, like, The Rainbow Connection, or I Want to Rock by Twisted Sister. Are there any songs that you still know on guitar now? Mm, if I pull out my old guitar and I have the tabature, I can play... Actually, Scarborough Fair I, was the one song I did enjoy playing, because it was finger-picking. And it turns out I was actually way better at finger picking than I was strumming. I can't strum. And also, because when I really, when I wanted to learn an instrument, when I was like seven years old, my parents were like, what you want to learn how to play? It's, you should probably learn a musical instrument. That's a good skill for people to have. Yep. And I said, I want to learn the harp. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, why the harp? Because Sarah means princess, and I had all these like princess fantasies for myself or whatever. And, uh... I'm like, what about the flute? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess a bird could perch on my flute. That'll be fine. <laughs> what ended up happening with the tape then? Oh, the tape of, like, me and my friend? I don't know. There's some tape somewhere where we're, like, jamming. And I remember fucking around, uh... Oh, we must have been, like, 15 years old. I remember fucking around with power chords. And I actually came up with a song that my high school boyfriend 
had written. They were like the same three power chords, the same, you know, manner. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, this is one of their songs. It was like, and I was like, oh, I just wrote one of my boyfriend's songs. That's crazy. Just by fucking around. And then we made fun of my boyfriend's band. I think that's on, I think that's on tape. They were borderline like hardcore screamo. That's the, that's the only tape that I remember. And I probably remember it because I must have listened to it at some point. So it must still be around. It's really interesting that you managed to document yourself in so many ways in your life and career, but that there's no audio is, there is, there, though there is, but not really any attainable, yeah. at least shows that you didn't necessarily commit to one thing or another. You did it all. You yes. even recorded yourself on video, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we have. There's some sketch we did in drama class that we have, but... I don't think I ever wanted to watch it. Like, that was too painful. It was too painful to watch myself. But my inner feelings of, like, writing, I think that was fine. Why is that? I don't know. I think a lot of actors can't watch themselves. I, I agree with you. Yeah, so... I can't watch myself. I do... I have a much easier time listening to myself, but watching myself act, yeah. I can do it, but I'm not sure for how much longer I can do it in good taste. I think also, like, watching yourself, you end up becoming way too aware, especially if you've gone to theater school, you're too aware of your flaws, you're too Absolutely. aware of your habits, but when you, like, when you see your writing, you can be aware of, like, your writing habits, your writing voice, and you're like, oh, there's that thing again, but it's less personal, because it's not your physical being, your actual sound of air traveling over your, you know, Cords. Thanks so much again to Sarah Bino. She is awesome for joining us on this uh, occasion here at Maynam in Vancouver. Check out everything that she has to do at S-A-R-A-B-Y-N-O-E.com. Yeah, that's it. I have, I have a lot of difficulty looking back at old things I'd performed in or even just listening to this program. <laughs> we know that already. Hearing myself, yeah, hearing myself recorded, seeing myself perform. It's weird. It is It is a weird thing. And yet, and yet, you have the movie, and I got to watch it, the little oh, like, you, documentary. You did get a chance to look at that? I did. I have to admit, there's, it's really very beautiful. When's the last time you've seen it? I showed it to a girl, like... I, maybe six months ago or something like that, and it was the first time that I'd seen it in a few years. Okay. And uh, it's emotional every time I watch it. It was the culmination not just of a lot of work, but of like a lot of emotion that had been building up over that time. Sure. Yeah, it was much easier for me to pick apart writing that I'd done and stuff and not care as much. Like, did you, did you ever keep like a journal or write any poetry when you were young? Absolutely. If I ever got a chance to do a teen angst, I would definitely, definitely be down to scour through all the journals from even as early as uh, middle school and high school for all the poems that I used to write when I was a kid that are terrible in retrospect, but at the time I thought were awesome. You know, going back to one of the older other clips we listened to uh, earlier on the show... And just the idea of how um, they were talking about the drama school in Vancouver mm -hmm. and how all the kids had this unbelievable amount of chemistry just between them and oh, yeah. as a unit. Yeah. You know, they they gelled and they made each other grow more and they pushed each other more. Personally, when I did a school, a school play, which I think I probably have talked about before in the program in the yep. past, mm -hmm. um, I did two school plays in high school. And one was just like that. One was just magic. Like from day one till we finished, like it was just 
pouring with creativity and just so many people coming together and doing something amazing. And uh, the second school play I did in high school was awful. And I remember really not being happy with it. It was it was mostly the same cast that we'd had on the last show, but we'd had a director leave and, and he got replaced by a new director. And uh, she really lacked vision and she tried, kind of tried to do everything exactly by the book. Mm-hmm. And we weren't by the book people. You know, this was Brooklyn. People were, were wanting to push the envelope and to... Uh, you know, to make it our own, to make the play our own. And the first play we'd done was Midsummer Night's Dream, which was much, much more difficult to actually relate to. What was to. the other one? That the one did? that no one related to was Fame, which was hmm. about performing arts in high school. Like, people were like, what is this craziness? Give That's me, funny. Give me those fawns in the forest, you know, running around, putting love dust in each other's eyes. I think at, at the end of the day, the teacher, she should probably take a lot more credit for cultivating that out of her students. But similarly, that's why when I got into school, I wasn't rushing into uh, doing all different sorts of performance the same way because I wanted something that was more of a personal creative endeavor. And that's what led me to do uh, a lot of stand-up comedy is just you with a mic and go for it. Do you see what you do as alternative comedy like what uh, Sarah Bina was talking about? I, I'm the opposite. I don't think I do. I like what she's doing. And, I've, and honestly, like I'm inspired by her makes me want to do more things. I feel like I'm definitely not devoting myself as much as I should because there's a lot of different things I could be doing. But I would consider myself much more of a meat and potatoes comedian. I I wish I did more. My jokes are not really thinkers, you know? Mm. Like, it's you're going to get it. It's not, you know, the taste is going to be there. You might want more. You might say, oh, I wish this had some salt on it. And one of these days I'll get some salt in my act. But <laughs> it's one of those things where it's really straightforward. I would like to become more experimental, but I never really considered myself much of a writer. I like being inspired by other people and I can, you know, find more of a voice through other people. But, you know, I'm not sitting around coming up with all kinds of great ideas all the time. And that's our show. What did we learn today? We learned that when you travel to somewhere distant, you can still find creative folks who can inspire you. Reunions are overrated. I was very lucky with non-abusive parents and lack of Disney princess knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they were going on about those princesses, I was... Uh, yeah. I think being cartoon royalty would be too much responsibility. It would be, yeah. That's, so that's what we've also learned. We learned that cartoon royalty is just too high maintenance. We also learned that theater kids are really magical and you should always look after them and make sure that they're all always inspired by you. Thanks again for being here on this edition of Lost and Rewound. Check us out again next week for a brand new episode. Every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks again. See you next week. Take care. Nothing I can say, total eclipse <laughs> of the heart.